Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Arsenal Pass Time of the Round. Today, we're here with T. Tebow. Um, T's a pretty good friend of mine. I met him on the Road to National circuit. Um, ran into you, I think, a couple times, actually. You were quite a grinder back then. I think you have a pretty funny story, actually, in Road to National. So I remember you said something to me that has actually stuck, uh, stuck with me all the way up until now. It was during that finals in, in Kansas. Once we finished, you said, uh, always the bridesmaid. What did you mean by that? Always, always second. I have a, I have a notorious record coming from Magic of like always being one short. And my friends used to even call me one short. Uh, big record of getting like ninth at events, not making the cut by one or getting second in the finals or all, all kinds of uh, good stuff that you don't want to happen like that. Like it, it, it's always great to to put up a ninth but yeah i mean it could be worse you could just you could just serially lose on stream every single time you got on that would be that'd be pretty bad uh (laughs) but let's let's talk about how did you get into flesh and blood what like when was your entry point specifically and then what actually drew you to the game initially so there was my local store in missouri at the time uh was pretty much dying because of covid there was nobody playing for magic and so we started traveling to a store that was about an hour and a half away just to play like weekly events so that we could get back into playing the game. And one week while we were there, they put out a display of all the flesh and blood boxes. And I had heard a bunch of my friends talking about it uh, from other parts of the state. And so me and one of my friends, Nick Inlow, that we were there with, uh, Nick walks up and takes his prize packs for that FNM in flesh and blood. And I was like, well, if you're going to do it, I better do it. And so we started cracking a bunch of packs of, uh, of arcane and then Monarch came out the week after for unlimited. So we started getting a bunch of Monarch and finally we were like, you know what? I think it's time to learn how to play these cards that we have a bunch of. And so we hopped on the, uh, the good old Google and typed in flesh and blood and this wacky podcast came up on YouTube called Arsenal Pass. And then we learned how to play the game. Not from us, I, I hope. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 be <laughs> well, poorly. The, the competitive side, like getting into uh, getting into it more. We watched the uh, the Ira video that they had up, and then the store owner taught us how to play. And then we we wanted we were looking for something competitive to do because we've always done that with Magic. And when it wasn't available, we wanted something else. And it was right before like RTN season started. Mm-hmm. So after we started getting the game down and getting more competitive in it. We realized there were events. Yeah. And you so I think you traveled literally every weekend. You you had a crazy schedule during Road to Nationals. I actually didn't know that you're like you only had started playing in Monarch. That's pretty crazy. You mentioned Magic there, by the way. What was your history in Magic? Uh at the end of twenty nineteen, beginning of twenty twenty, I left my full time job to just play competitive magic. And so I was playing on the Star City circuit and the Channel Fireball GP circuit for four-ish years before that. Mm -hmm. And then once I started doing well and making money from traveling and justifying cost of living versus cost of traveling, and then being able to make enough money to do all of it, I decided to go full-time with it and try to do content creation. And then we had this crazy, uh, crazy shutdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's so I would imagine coming from that kind of getting the I guess the rug kind of got swept out from under you must be pretty excited with the future of flesh and blood, especially as we head into 2022. 
Oh yeah. When they put out that poster, that was the million dollar year. Mm-hmm. We lost it. We lost our minds. <laughs> That's awesome. You, um, I remember when I met you in Kansas, you had mentioned you were starting a new job at SCG. So I know we've talked about this. I already know the answer, but you started <laughs> that job. You're working there now. How is it? And what do you do? Uh, I love it. Moved out to Roanoke from Missouri. So now I'm in Virginia and I work for SCG as a pricing and purchasing representative. So whenever people come in to sell us cards or mail us cards and at events, you can find me at the buy booth purchasing cards (laughs) and uh, pricing cards. So like my specific division that I have is promos. So pretty much any promo on the Star City website I had a hand in. That's sweet. And um, that road to national season, what made you like, I mean, maybe it's probably the answer is probably just love the game, but you were really grinding back then because I remember seeing you at Pretty much all of them. I went to a lot of them, but I don't think I went to nearly as many as you. you. You went like, how many did you end up going to in total? I genuinely do not have a, a solid <laughs> answer for that. I can't remember. It's it lot. was probably like nine or ten somewhere up there. That's um, awesome. Yeah, every every weekend that there was one available within, I think the furthest one we drove to was Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, which was like an eight-hour drive. But there were two. There was one the day before that one in St. Louis which was three hours of the way. So we drove three hours to St. Louis, did one, drove five hours to Tennessee, did one, drove back. <laughs> Crazy. It's a, it's a big weekend. I, to be fair, I, I would have tried to do something similar uh, to you had I had the opportunity. I think it was, I don't know about you, but I felt like super starved for paper competitive TCGs, like, you know, events to play. And so when Road to National season rolled around, I was like chomping at the bit to just get out and, and play some events and um like even willing to travel i i actually traveled for the like the skirmish season in season one because i was that keen after like a year and a bit of no no events to travel to to get to something so i'm, I'm sure you would have been the same and how did you have like a, a core group that you were going with like every week was it a group of your your local friends that you're saying nick and yeah so at the beginning whenever we first started playing it was me and nick and we learned how to play. And then we got another one of our friends that was playing magic into it. Uh, his name's Michael. And so it was me, Nick, and Michael. And we would meet at Nick's house every Wednesday and play for like two hours and figure things out. And every week we would we would try to go home and consume content that would help us progress in the game and then proxy something else up so that we could learn more decks. And then we started traveling to the first round of RTNs, to that one in Tennessee. Uh, the weekend after, we had convinced another one of our friends, Evan, to join in and learn. And so then it was the four of us traveling to events. And then by the time the two in Texas rolled around, we had convinced another one of our friends to join. So then we had a full car and we were just traveling to a lot of yeah. events. Making the most of it. Yeah. I don't know if Brennan wants to ask any more about your uh, your history, but I have a, I have a bit of a, a hard hitting question for you, T. And one I've been wanting to, I've been looking for the right person to ask this to that we've had on time of the round. And I feel like you might be that person. But now that we're kind of down the road of what, six months of competitive flesh and blood events in North America, and I know you've been to a few, uh, I think you went to a calling as well in, the, in that time. Um, what do you think of the, I guess, the level of play that you're seeing? And also specifically with the magic players who have come across, because you have a big experience in, in the magic world in terms of like, you know, grinding uh circuits and now you're seeing these players come across like yourself what do you think is happening to the competitive play space like are you what do you think that where do you think the levels are and do you think these magic players are having an impact uh for sure definitely so everyone who cared about 
like a competitive side of the game that was as crazy as I am doing as many events as they could and jamming their schedule full um, has either swapped it to online magic, which for me just doesn't do it or has come over to flesh and blood and started traveling and doing events Um, like at nationals. There was another uh, pro magic friend of mine, uh, Jacob that top aided nationals and he came straight over from magic. He won one of the star city invitationals back in the day has his own token and he came to flesh and blood because the paper game is balanced better. It plays better. The competitive scene was there and starting up and everybody wanted to be in on the ground floor of what we feel is the next big competitive game. Yeah. And do, do you think that those players like uh, Jacob, I'm, I'm guessing he wasn't playing for long before heading to internationals, maybe around the same time as you or into that mm-hmm. level and we, we of course saw michael hamilton who played magic in the past as well and and done you know similar i think in terms of playing on circuits taking out the calling so i guess a really short period of time for these players to turn around to some some results right yeah absolutely and uh michael another one of my magic friends we've ran into each other from star city circuits and gps in the past and yeah it just it converts but on a different level because of how punishing it is to make mistakes in flesh and blood you see like the high skill transfer of people who were very, very good at magic coming into flesh and blood and doing very, very well because of every mistake mattering infinitely more in flesh and blood. Yeah. And there's, there's a reason I asked this. I'm not just uh, asking for, it's a bit of a leading question, I guess. And it's, it's about the the state of play, I think. Um, And I was really interested because I got to, of course, go to the calling in Orlando, um, as as Brendan knows, he was there with me Uh, (laughs) and and an awesome experience, of course, but also just the level of play was uh, a lot higher than probably I expected, especially at top tables and just a lot of players who had really picked up the game. And obviously they had these transferable skills um, and it's just becoming a lot more competitive, I think. And that's awesome to see. And yeah, I just, I think it's, I wanted someone like yourself, T, who's who's witnessed that firsthand, who knows what it's like for a, being someone like a magic player coming across and transferring those skills and starting to see results in this game. And it's getting super competitive. I think it's just uh, points forward to the competition that we're going to have next year as we get into the calling season and the pro quest season, which I think we're about to talk about as well. And then into the first pro tour, it's uh, it's going to be heated competition. And some of the areas that have had a bit of a head start, I think, in parts of the world, like myself and, and the community here in Australia, you have to watch our backs, I think, because there's, uh, there's some pretty strong players coming up through North America now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Dude, I love how Hayden dunks on his own people. He's the only one that can do it because they'll get super pissed if we say anything. But Hayden just dunking on the New Zealand. No, I'm kidding. It's not uh, dunk. It's just a. It's just a. It's just a time to up the game. You know, I think there's uh, there, there's like some sentiments about you know areas of the world that have some of the best players in it. And I, you know what, I think there's there's a bit of a gray area now. There's some there's some fantastic players uh, who just put up some results through this calling season. I mean, our very own Dante. You know, two callings and a nationals top eight. Nothing to scoff at, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy that you'd be willing to say that your own people, the Australian players, just kind of suck. No, I'm kidding. Definitely um, would never say that. Some fantastic <laughs> players over here, by the way. And they're going to show. They're going to show it at Worlds and Pro Tours. So don't worry about that. <laughs> hey, I'm going to ask you then. So uh, we won't stay on this topic too long. But let's just put Hayden on the hot seat. <laughs> so Worlds is coming up in 2022. We've literally, we've probably answer this question i think three times (laughs) in this past year but what nationality will the world champion uh, world champion be where will they be from yeah we've asked a lot of people this question (laughs) yeah t's gonna say usa 
Uh, I'm getting more confident in saying that I think it will be a North American player or a player from Asia, I think. We're gonna say, yeah. Just the the results. Uh, watching that final match, and I think it was the the Hong Kong uh, championship, was was an awesome game to watch. And you saw a player who was in a really bad spot, like navigate a game. I don't know if anyone's watched that out there, but if you haven't, go check it out. It's a great game. And just from from my experiences, spending you know that event in the US as well, um, in Orlando, just the the level of play. I think there's there's more players there. Obviously, they have opportunities because. And we'll talk about soon the, the amount of pro quests, the amount of callings, the amount of PTIs that they can uh, they can get, I guess, get on is is probably significantly larger than other parts of the world right now, even Europe, where you might see some players come. But I think it might just, worlds might come a bit too soon for European players. Um, and I think it might just be at the right time for either a player from the US, a player from Canada, uh, or even a player from somewhere like like a Hong Kong. There you go. I'll say. I like it. Hey. I like it. <laughs> I'll be at, if, for the Australians who disagree with me. I'll be at nationals. Come beat me down, and that's fine. You can take it oh, out yeah, of me. Oh yeah, that's exciting. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to see the New Zealand and Australian national champions. So T, I, I've also written down your vote as well, USA. Uh, and I don't answer these questions because I'm just I'm the people I'm political the, mastermind. The people, are the <laughs> political mastermind. No, I would I'd probably gamble if I had to gamble. I'd gamble like, if I could choose North America, that'd be a bit easier. But also think i'm in line with hayden where like north america and asia are like my top regions um but asia is interesting because they're a bit like they're obviously very skilled but they're a bit siloed and we we don't get to actually experience um that player base very much (laughs) other than what was the online skirmish season and that's where it's like oh yeah so they're we kind of realize they're a lot better than we would have expected right not that we expected them to be bad but we just had no exposure and then yeah, so it's definitely something to watch out for. You you also get uh, presumably one to two pro tours before then, and a handful of callings that those players can travel to. So we'll get to see, and they'll get the experience. And I, you know, just based on other card games in the past, uh, there is usually contingents out of the Asia region that are just like they either become like fanatical about the game, or they just find a way to devote so much time and and energy, and just have natural skill as well. So yeah, it'll be it'll be good to see. All right, so we had some news. Uh, ProQuest are now armories. No, I'm kidding. So the ProQuest scene <laughs> is in 2022 is going to change a bit. So it used to be um, almost universally. There are some exceptions. Obviously, there was one in Australia, and there was the SCG Con where ProQuest did not accompany a calling. But previously, they were on the day twos of the calling, and they were mostly meant for people who ha- did not day two and they had another chance to go for you know go for a proto invite. Mm-hmm. But moving into 2022, that is going to change drastically. We have, I guess, the ProQuest circuit, and there is a plethora of ProQuest going on. They're going to be kind of, I mean, they seem like they're basically the most, like, the thing I can um, compare them to the most is Road to Nationals, right? Like, it seems very similar to that. Do you agree, T? Uh, yeah. On a fab standpoint, it's it's like a Road to Nationals. In a magic yeah. standpoint, this would be like your PPTQs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, what do you guys, what I do you guys to, think about the change? I kind of want to actually, yeah, I wanted to ask because you just like, while it's fresh on uh, on the mind, just off T's tongue there, the, the, the comparison between like a magic PPTQ system, because one of the big things is that these don't award, you know, prizes towards travel to these pro tours. And a lot of people said, and including myself, I was like, there's a lot of these happening. But realistically, 
what percentage of players who win these events are going to actually find themselves in a position to go or you know maybe be wanting to go without that like i said that financial incentive or that airfare incentive like you've had in other games i know uh has done it in the past magic's done it in the past so it's a it's a bit of a change right like i just want to get that in before you ask that question Brendan, because it is it is a, not only is we're seeing a change from the current system with callings and pro quests on sundays but we're also seeing i guess a change to maybe how this is done in other parts of you know the tcg world yeah, can you explain that again? I caught, I think I understood, but you were saying, so in Magic, you would win like some sort of compensation that you could <clears throat> apply towards going towards the Pro Tour? Was that it? So the Magic competitive structure for a long time was a PPTQ, which was like a smaller event that gave you an invite to a regional PTQ. Mm-hmm. And the regional PTQ was top X number of players qualify i think it was top two or top four Mm -hmm. uh and then the winner of those events would also get like a plane ticket and 500 cash so Mm -hmm. you have your trip paid for 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 that pro tour um so the structure is a little different here with the with the pro quests in flesh and blood but depending on what that first place gold cold ends up being that could just be everything in itself yeah, it's real interesting, actually, the wording on that, because it says weapons. So it either tells us that in ev- I'm going off, by the way, I'm going, this is a bit of a, <clears throat> a bit of a detraction. Here comes the, Bren- the, 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 yeah. <laughs> the Brendan jump. <laughs> we can always see that now you can understand why I struggled as, as a child. Um, but it did say weapons. So like we either definitely get legendary weapons in Everfest or we are going to depart from printing things like Welcome to Wraith, Arcane Rising and all this stuff in terms of the cold golds for Pro, these pro quests which <clears throat> seems ideal right because the pricing is for you it does very very good well i mean the pricing is i mean for the amount that there's going to be in the not like specifically in like a region like the united states it does seem like a pretty good prize <laughs> yeah i mean like here in roanoke where there's two imagine twelve thousand dollars of prizes given out in one city for yeah. events that will have 40 people tops yeah, that would make that twelve thousand dollars a uh, like eventually like a two thousand dollars worth of prize. Yeah, that's the like thing. Yeah, the the amount of events would if if it carries on the same kind of printing cycle, right? You you effectively, I mean, the amount in the in the wild of these gold foils just exponentially goes up, right? So that's kind of a bit scary, I think, in some ways, and also the financial, I guess, uh, implications of you know like sell it to get, you know fund your plane ticket that might diminish. Uh, with mm-hmm. with the amount that are happening, so it'd be interesting to see what they do. My my gut feel is that we see the current crop of gold foils probably retired um, in terms of, or it be slightly different. Where you say like it, maybe it doesn't end up being legendaries. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens, yeah. or, or weapons, or yeah, yeah. I think something changes. That's though. that's like my biggest fear is that these gold colds are just going to be. There's going to be a feel bad where you open a gold cold and it's an iris of reality and you're like, uh, I guess I lose. <laughs> yeah, fun. I mean, I actually, I actually look forward to. I would, I would really like to get like a gold cold of like a dom, <clears throat> like a dom blade or something. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's an interesting concept, and I, I honestly have no idea where it's going to go. But the other thing we've been bouncing around here locally is what if it's the majestic weapons? Yeah, from I, I agree, Amaria. And then it's like, oh no, Duskblade. 
<laughs> I, I don't think I that think they would have they that don't one. print that one surely but they would somehow find a way to not have that one in the rotation. <laughs> i actually i actually think that's a good shout and that's that's kind of where my head is at is that we could see them become uh majestic equipment and weapons so majestic equipment from crucible weaver weapons from Everfest and Tales of Aria, what did that end up being? I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Um, it feels like it's going to be something different. You look at Rhodes Nationals having the rainbow foil full art tunics. Um, that's a, de- you know, a departure from where they've been in the past. Uh, yeah, I, I'd be interested to see what happens, though. I think it something needs to change, though, as you potentially devalue these. And it looks like, you know, just even for the first very first Pro Tour, we're going to have an excess of 200 Pro Quests. So it's like, you know... It's not actually don't you know don't quote me. I'm just I'm just going based off how many yeah, I know yeah, so far in the US. And, yeah, 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 it's definitely a lot. It's definitely a lot though, so it's fine. Um it's just it's gonna be it's interesting how if you want to play competitive flesh and blood, you will definitely be satiated in twenty twenty two, where in twenty twenty one, you know, we went from like skirmish everybody's trying to spike skirmishes and <laughs> spike these RTNs and I mean it's just gonna be so different as we move forward. Um so banner restricted. That happened last week. We got our big announcement, which was no announcement. T, what is your opinion on no bannings in the class constructed or blitz format? I think it's perfect. Um, and I'm going to get attacked for that. <laughs> but uh, I think you're in, you're in company. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say this is boring. Come on, T. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, that that no changes yet is perfect. We've got the next announcement coming on February 2nd, two days before Everfest. Realistically, I don't think that there should be anything there either. Uh, it seems incredibly unfair to not or to to ban something now and then completely change the three nationals that got postponed: Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore. I think, yeah. um, like to just take all three of those nationals and throw them for a loop seems unfair. Uh, like playing a different game, but we still have that chance on February second that. I think if we reach enough outcry at that point, something will probably get banned. In my mind, it'd be something like Plunder Run, because that's the card I hear people complain about the most. But <laughs> uh, I think that's what the sensible yeah. people complain about. I hear a lot yeah. of other complaints. Like, if you want to get attacked, you should just say something like this. Like, I think the format is actually healthy. Oh, I think the format's perfect. Yeah, no. Yeah. The format's perfect. Game perfectly fine. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That, that'll get you attacked. Um, but that, that is genuinely what I think. Like, I always think that Briar's a good deck, but it's nothing like Chain was. Um, and I think that any, like, any kind of errata would just be terrible. Uh, but I agree with you. Yep, Plunder Run is the one that's on the chopping block in terms of like the health of the game in general. A lot of, a lot of decks just seem to include that card as of recent. Seems, um, but yeah, we'll see in Everfest. You know, there's so much that could come with that. Hayden, what is your opinion on the banner restricted? I got a few. I need you to have something contrary. Yeah, I want to be the contrarian <laughs> of the group. Someone's got to be. I mean, come on, we got to we got to find. In the rod, I told you, rod Brennan, rod the rod screening rod. process for guests on time in the run now is: do they disagree with us? We've got to. Everyone's going to think that we just find like-minded people. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> no, um, you, you. One thing you did forget about T though is uh, February second gives them the opportunity to ban something before it gets released in Everfest. So. Um, oh. Yep. <laughs> I gotta gotta have. Yeah, a shot. I heard that. I heard that's a new thing that they're they're trying to do every set with R and D. It's just oh. man, something right out of the gate. No, okay, no, yeah, we're, just, we're, just we're gonna get like the spoilers at the end of uh, end of January, and they'll be like, "Oh, look at this nice new legendary weapon." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, okay, I, 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 I think I think we look pretty good. I think they've learned their lessons from that. I hope they have, and from 
experience with LSS so far, I'm sure they have. But my my view, I, the one thing I'm surprised about is that we didn't get a... So last time, Seeds was banned and then Unhallowed Rights was placed on the watch list. There was nothing said about that watch list in this banned and restricted announcement. Uh, unless I, I missed it, but I read it three times, so I don't think I did. Uh, <laughs> and Plunder Run was not placed. So I would have... I was expecting... My, my thought, my prediction was no bans except for possibly Duskblade and Blitz, which I would have been fine with. Having played some Blitz recently, I actually think that would probably be good for the health format, but it's also a, a casual format and banning cards is kind of feel bad. So I, I think that's also fine. It doesn't detract from still playing that format, I think, um, for the core base of players that are going to play it, uh, especially with skirmish season. But the the no watch list sort of piece and maybe not putting something like a plunder run on the watch list says to me that uh, Alex is pretty happy with the current, I guess, state of the balance of where the format could be. And they clearly see that there's probably some decks out there or some strategies out there that are being underutilized right now. Uh, I don't know, like old time maybe. Uh, so <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be interesting oh, to see, oh, but yeah, the fact no, no watch list was, was interesting to me. I what think that not being utilized like old time, maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> I think, uh, I think the reason for no watch list could alternatively be that they want to see the results from the last three nationals that are outstanding to like confirm plunder run is the problem mm. in like engineing those briar decks take the season and, in its entirety as well yeah take the season in its entirety and like taking out plunder run hurts other strategies too yep. it does so yeah poor katsu just can't uh, catch a break honestly, i was waiting for them to unban seeds like i really <laughs> thought that was coming but not this time surely on the second so we um we have a little set called Welcome to Wraith rotating out. Hayden and I are infamously Welcome to Wraith boomers. I guess you are a monarch millennial, T. What is your yeah. thoughts of Welcome to Wraith exiting, like, print? So this is real. Me and Hayden uh, stumbled upon a little conundrum today while we were playing a uh, Welcome to Wraith constructed video for the channel, which will be out soon. They said at one point, they were like, hey, we're going to stop printing Drone of Brutality in Unlimited. Right, and then they're gonna release that. I only ever got boxes of Welcome to Wraith Unlimited with Drone of Brutality, and like when they made that announcement, did they have like the idea of actually printing Welcome to Wraith longer than they did? Because it seems like it was like either short lived or not lived at all. <laughs> I'm just like kind of confused because like yeah, we're gonna take it out of Unlimited, but then all the boxes that we got here in in Texas were with Drone of Brutality, and it seems like if they were gonna take the set out of print anyway, why would they? take drone of brutality it's so weird <laughs> i'm so confused um yeah so when they make these announcements they still have like one full print run mm -hmm. hitting distributors so maybe it'll be in that last print run but that would be really strange for them to like swap over to a new distributor go to the belgium print and then also cut cards halfway through a or it's starting another print and then stop production on that set completely that that does seem weird so that that seems like something that they probably decided against or yeah went so a different way gonna, with just gonna put the tinfoil hat on <laughs> so <Here we> go. <laughs> maybe they weren't planning to stop printing welcome to wraith and it was but it was planning to keep it going longer but I guess with the end, like Crucible rotating out and then Arcane Rising was what was surprising and of course we kind of expected welcome to wraith after that like Arcane Rising welcome to wraith I heard from a little birdie that is very close to this game. I won't name the birdie, but 
a long time ago, they told me the idea of Unlimited was that it would always be on shelves. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting if you have like 20 sets, but okay, sounds good. And now we see core sets and like, you know, when Arcane Rising went out, it was like, yeah, everybody kind of hates that limited format anyway, whatever. Right? And then Welcome to Wraith goes out. It's like one of the most loved sets. I mean, probably the most loved set ever created. It's an interesting <laughs> move. What do you guys think about like the rotation out? I, of- I, I think one thing, Brendan, is that <laughs> you're speaking from a very Brendan side of things here, just in terms of like, <laughs> you've got the temple out of it. But also as a lover of Welcome to Wraith, right? I do have one thing to say on the, the print piece. I think they were just covering their bases, to be honest. They could very well have been... Um, because, okay, say they don't make that announcement and they also aren't ready to announce that sets are going to go out of print and then people go, oh, are we going to get drones still in these packs and I still have to open drone? And it just maybe raises questions they don't want to have to deal with. Um, and then it also allows them to, if they do decide to actually extend their print run, it gives them the option to do it and just leave drone out, right? So I think that might have just been covering their bases, to be honest, just in terms of that announcement. But I think it's pretty hard to, whether they had always intended for, as you say, Unlimited to be on shelf uh, or for it to be an extended time period but wasn't obviously first edition, trying to run a a business that's running in a a card game that's going to release minimum two sets a year on that model is is so tough with like scale of production and cost of production it's and especially in an ever-increasing environment of like uh raw materials costs where manufacturing and raw materials is just is just going up uh it's really tough so maybe that decision was made before some recalculations of costs and things like that and just realizing you know how much this game might cost to make and People who have money invested in this game from, I guess, from the actual business side of it, it just might not have been viable as it might have been maybe six to nine months ago. And I have that personal experience from working in a a business that has experienced very high cost increases because across the world, this is happening with COVID and and a lot of other uh, impacts of raw material costs. So I'm I'm not surprised if they had that decision originally and then maybe had to course correct a little bit to fit the the model they want moving forward. It makes sense, right? And I think that if you had said this a year ago, we would have made a lot of money. Because if you think about it, the idea that Welcome to Wraith would always be in print doesn't make any freaking sense at all. Like, that seems logistically impossible at this release schedule. So you're right. So, What if we shift towards a act like a real rotation, like a standard format? That would be surprising, right? That would be very surprising. Because so, I, I know one of the core ethos is... is non-rotating format but it could change right yeah uh like if we keep getting uh reprints in these core sets like tunic and skullcap to keep game say staples in the format and then rotate out older formats instead of banning cards yeah yeah you're half the way there you're half the way there it's really hard to run a non-rotating format without printing old sets that have staples because it's not even it's not even the majestic and and um uh, legendary staples and you'll be i'm not sure how long you played magic 4t but i'm sure you if you played long enough you remember this but there was a it was a set called ravnica and uh the set was like reasonably printed but magic had a pretty strong growth sort of in the year preceding that set uh and there was a card called remand which was in a lot of decks <laughs> and that was an uncommon so equivalent of being a rare in flesh and blood so you know think about your i don't know Aaron's prayers or you know these these rare level cards it was a 15 dollar card uh at, at one point in terms of when it was in standard uh, when it was in like the current like not the rotational format so um i know t's looking at the price right now or something probably 
Uh, I wanted to, so I didn't play when original, original Ravnica yeah. came out. Yeah. So that released in 2005. I was, uh, the ripe old age of five years old. Okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, but I did play when return to Ravnica came out and I yeah. do remember Roman being 15, $20. Yeah. And it wasn't standard. And that's just, I'm not saying that this is, you know, this is what magic did and this is what flesh and blood need to do. But what I'm saying is this is an example of what happens when you have a, a demand on, on sets and then you bring in, uh, I guess, a phasing out of product there's potential for things like this to happen where you don't have the product available especially imagine if uh okay we come out the other side of this pro quest season and um the first set of 2021 post ever the first foundational set is just like a huge success all these players all these new players coming into the game looking for welcome to race product or arcane rising product what does that do to the game and i think that's and we're getting so cynical today i'm sorry yeah, no 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 no, no. <laughs> it's that's such an interesting, interesting point because like it doesn't even make sense like i think like, that at that point you take on the Yu-Gi-Oh model yeah what so yeah i was about to ask what is the what is the Yu-Gi-Oh model yeah so Yu-Gi-Oh is non-rotational everything's yeah. legal they just edit a ban list of every card uh and so obviously sets go out of print because there's sets in Yu-Gi-Oh that came out in early 2000s and before that still have cards that see play. So they just reprint things mm -hmm. and Yu-Gi-Oh pays really good. Like Konami pays really good attention to what's seeing play and does uh, they do a reprint tin every year now that focuses on yeah. all the heavy hitting cards from the year before. So you end up with like your hundred dollar command and conquers in a tin at $5 now, which isn't great for the, for the collector side of things. But it helps the player side of things a lot. Yeah. There's some collectors watching mm. us right now. They just start sweating. Are they, are they watching our channel though, Brennan? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we are, we are, but we are, we are. I'm a big, I'm a big market player out here. Well, we're going to be, big. we're going to be renaming after today. I'll tell you what, but do you know what? That's actually super interesting is that whether you're a player, whether you're a collector, whether you are a casual whether player, whether you're a you know semi-competitive player, whether you're a competitive minded player, this is going to impact you like the decisions that alice is making in the next six months in terms of reprints in terms of what they do with set releases um there's the discussion about like first versus unlimited and i actually think that kind of discussion pales in comparison to what could happen in terms of how they decide to look at the reprint side of it because it's going to dictate access to cards it's going to dictate how many players can get into you know local armories with the cards they want even into like the pro quest season things like this so i'm, I'm glad we jumped onto this conversation it's a, it's an interesting one actually we're coming right up on the uh, the three year curse, so we're what's like, that what's that? What's that? What's the three year curse? New card games that like explode in popularity at the beginning die in their third and the end of their third year. Hmm. Flesh and Blood came out 2018? 2019. Wait, wait, 2018. 20, okay, 2019. Yeah. So 2022, third year. Okay. It's true. It's true. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, this this games obviously that have succeeded and and continued through, or they've taken maybe their growth has kind of plateaued a little bit but um i do think if you look at some of those card games uh alices i think have probably learned from some of those and you can tell that in the way they've tried to scale and tried to be Absolutely. a little bit more careful about the scaling uh it's the old you know you you start a business and you go and spend your uh your cash flow on uh expenses and raise your expense level i don't think alices have maybe done that as much as some other card games hopefully seems like i am anyway. i am very very happy with how flesh and blood has turned out even just like the short less than a year that i've been playing it watching the decisions they make and the actions they take it it makes some more casual players upset whenever they have to do things like early bannings but 
it shows that they care about the the healthiness of the game and the format, and they want to make it a playable game that can sustain itself. And I'm a big fan of how they're doing things. Yeah, we, we may have viewers on both sides, right? I know, I know we do, because I've spoken to a lot of our listeners and viewers who are on both sides of something like a, a Dustblade ban or a Seeds of Agony ban or the, the current state of Briar, things like that. But there's like, LSS have like a responsibility to strike a balance for the long-term growth of the game. And some things may not feel right in the now and, and they may not be right in the now, right? Like they're not going to get everything perfect. But I think to your point, T, like they, uh, they're paying a lot of attention to try and learn from past mistakes of themselves, but also, uh, you know, those have walked before them as well. So I, I feel pretty good about it. I think I feel very similar to you. <laughs> I, I feel good about where we are as a game right now and very good about it going forward. Yeah, it's funny because I don't even think that the the reality, like in my mind, is even a possibility of Flesh and Blood like not being the next game, right? Yeah, like it's so cemented in terms of like its dominance um, for the future in my mind. But that, I don't know. <laughs> I want to ask you, T, as we like as kind of a parting question here: What is the best deck in the classic constructed format, and why? In classic constructed, the best deck. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm between. I'm between the two guardians, the two adult guardians. Uh, but I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put Oldham on top. I think. Okay. I think Oldham has the best game right now, for being able to steadily control the game state and prevent damage from especially heavy hitters like Briar and Chain. And Michael's list and victory kind of solidified that in my mind. I, that's a good shout. Do you know what? I, I when I when I first looked at Michael's list after the calling because we played in the calling, I thought, and I knew he told me you hadn't been playing that long. Like the list was kind of put together more recently. I looked at it and was like, oh, I don't know about this list. And then I played it and was like, oh, actually, yeah, okay. Michael knows what's <laughs> up. Michael knows what's up. <laughs> it's yeah. it's the weird things that people don't experiment with. Because they're like, why would you play Art of War in Oldham? But then you play it and you're like, oh, this card has four modes, huh? And then all of a sudden the card gets a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. There's this T shout. Uh, do you know what, I, Brendan, I was thinking before when you asked me about, uh, we were talking about the classic constructor format and I said about the old, you know, old time. It's not really like a, a side or anything. Uh, I'm being really careful at the moment about what I say about the classic constructor format, not because I have nationals coming up, but because I have nationals coming up and people thinking that I'm uh, saying things for the purposes of <laughs> I don't know, not wholesome reasons. I genuinely right now am unsure about what the best deck is right now. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to play for nationals. And I think the format is pretty open, although it has some restrictions on the ways that you can build and, and prepare for an event. That's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> so you're just not going to tell everybody you're playing Kano. Damn it. <laughs> the Kano Tech. The ah. Oh man, I'm so excited for whatever he's getting in Everfest. It's uh man. Kano's like one card away from being playable. Dude, he mm. is the thing is like he is playable. He's one card away from being busted. That, that's what <laughs> I it might be the issue, yeah. 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 Uh man, I hope. I hope and I, I hope and I pray. All right. Well, T, we appreciate you coming on. Um, it was great talking to you. As we head out, do you have anything that you want to plug? Your Twitter, your upcoming birthday, literally uh, whatever yeah, you want. Yeah. Uh, birthday, March 1st. Feel free to uh, mail me Git. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> follow me on Twitter at TCG Gaming, T-E-E-C-G Gaming. 
Uh, and then uh, on my Twitter, there's a link to my YouTube channel. I don't post a whole lot on there, but when I do, I try to make it good content. So drop me a follow on both of those platforms. Sweet. Well, again, appreciate you coming on. Um, I look forward to seeing you in the ProQuest season as well as whatever 2022 is going to bring. Um, and yeah. Oh. <laughs> Active player? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Active player. Oh, dude, I just blanked. Active player turn. Here we go. All right, that's it. We'll see you guys next time. See you later. <laughs> see ya.